So thanks everyone for joining today's video group discussion. We are talking about building your business case for influencer marketing. So I'm very lucky to have uh, three experts, people who we've who we've kind of worked with uh, here at Onlytica to kind of join this discussion. We're going to be talking through a little bit of everyone's background and, and trying to understand, you know, what the key ingredients are to to really making a, a convincing business case that your boss is going to agree to for influencer marketing. So to get everyone started, I'm going to just go around, ask everyone to, to give us their name, their job, uh, and tell us kind of how they how they got into to influencer marketing. So I'll go first. I am Jack. I am head of influencer strategy here at Onlytica. So I've been in the influencer game the last couple of years. Before that, I was kind of doing user-generated content, um, a little bit of kind of e-commerce and, and SEO stuff, and I really got into it just because I, I sort of found, you know, adding those expert opinions to your to your marketing mix has, has proved such a, uh, I think, a valuable way of kind of driving results, validating the content that you're creating. So that's me. I'm going to, without any further ado, I'm going to pass to Kelvin. Do you want to go next? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelvin Lee. I work at Refinitiv. We are one of the world's largest financial markets data and infrastructure providers serving some 40,000 customers in 190 countries. We are predominantly a B2B company. And my role there is the global social media director. Um, and I'm part of the central digital team. I'm currently based in Singapore. Well, how I stepped into influencer marketing was a natural evolution of our social media strategy where most firms, be it B2C or B2B naturally starts off with organic content, right? Um, and then they kind of pan out into paid ads on the different platforms. And as we shirt into some of these channels, a, a natural tactic or area or approach, if you like, would be to explore the power and the influence of these earned reach via influencers. So we started working with Onolotica about two to three years ago to figure out with a small pilot what a use case might be in terms of a certain country, which we started with the UK. And uh, happy to say now we have a global program, uh, which hopefully I'll touch on a little bit later. Cool. Obviously, yeah, didn't we didn't uh, encourage Kelvin to, to drop that in, but that's, that's um, really good to hear. Marie, do you want to go next? Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Marie. Um, I'm the head of social media at Marie Curie. It's a charity based in the UK and we care for people living with a terminal illness. Um, so our business in social media is trying to get people to talk about death and dying, which is, you know, it's quite a challenge. And, um, you know, for us, ambassadors and influencers have kind of been key to what we do in the charity. So it's a natural extension similar to how Kelvin said it, uh, beyond kind of social media, it was kind of how can we harness um, influencers. So yeah, I've been working with Onolitica, I think, for about three or so years as well. So um, lots, uh, we've learned a lot over that period. And last but not least, Chris. Yes, hi, I'm Chris. Um, I currently look after our research analytics function at Ketchum London. Uh, Ketchum is a global communications uh, agency working for clients across consumer, corporate, healthcare, you name it. Um, 
how did I get into influencer marketing? Well, my background is in social media, so similar to both Marie and Kelvin. Um, and you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I think it was probably the back end of 2013, start of 2014, which is sort of five, six years ago, which is a lifetime in this career. Um, I started being pulled into this thing called influencer marketing at the time. Uh, no one really knew what it was. Um, it was described as the Wild West uh, at the time. Everyone was sort of just doing their own thing. And um, I came into it from a, a B to C point of view because I was working at a, a B to C agency at the time um, and did a lot of work with Coca-Cola, actually, and particularly um, Fanta at the time, doing sort of the first influencer partnerships, which were primarily with YouTubers at, at the time and really sort of got, evolved in from that and now in the work that I'm doing at Ketchum I have a much broader, much more nuanced, much more structured approach to influencer marketing and uh, it continues to develop all the time. Cool, so cool. that Sorry. is that is our panel. Thanks everyone. So Chris mentioned there, um, brought brought up the, the topic of YouTubers. So I thought I'd use that to kind of segue into our first, our first kind of key question. Um, you know, so something we probably have to contend with a lot when we use the word influencer is that it, it conjures certain images. I wondered maybe, Kelvin, did you want to tell us about, like, what are some of the pushbacks you've seen when you kind of talk about maybe using influencers? You know, Refinitiv obviously being a sort of, you know, providing, you know, things like sort of B2B risk solutions. Do you find people immediately think of, they think of a kind of really chipper 19-year-old in their bedroom making videos and and they're confused. Is that the sort of pushback or or is it a bit more sophisticated than that now? Well, just to clarify, Refinitiv is more than just a risk management um, company. We, we at the yeah. heart of what we do is data. Um, but that that aside, that's definitely one of the pushbacks we, we got, um, I would say, 12 to 24 months ago, where the moment you mentioned influencers, it, you know, the image of Instagrammers, posing about food or their holidays are, are conjured up uh, pretty much immediately. So there was definitely in my environment in the B2B space internally, especially the education that was much needed with even our own marketing teams um, to, to talk about the potential opportunities of working together with the, the, the individuals who inherently are thought leaders, experts, uh, authentic uh, opinion leaders on certain themes and topics that, that we in, at Refinitiv care about as well. Um, in fact, today we don't play very much in the uh, Instagram space. We are on Instagram, right? You can search Refinitiv on Instagram to follow us. Uh, we feature a number of influencers uh, there through some of these activations we've had in at our events, um, webinars, etc. Um, but it's not a huge play for us. Um, our, our play at the moment tends to be on LinkedIn. Um, and that's where we see um, the, the, the greatest impact uh, in terms of day-to-day, uh, -day, week-to-week engagement. The second platform is, of course, Twitter as well. We do share and engage with a, a lot of content around those specific areas. Um, another, another challenge which I faced was around getting the 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 buying of the comms team the, the pr team uh you know with, with many pr teams one of the key role is to protect the reputation of, of a firm um although 
in, we are currently a, a private company, but we inherently are a came from a a, a culture where we were a listed company as part of Thomson Reuters. Uh, so what we who we engage with, what we post, um, though not as strict as um, a typical institutional bank, uh, was was carefully looked at as well. So getting the the right decision makers in internally really helped me to push that program forward um, this year. Okay, cool. Now that that kind of makes sense. It sounds, I guess, like a big thing is is then is clarifying you know, where your audience is and who you're sort of trying to influence. You know, you talked about really clarifying to people internally that you're, you know, you're going to go to LinkedIn to where buyers are. So maybe, maybe that's fair. Marie, it'd be, it'd be interesting to sort of know for, from your perspective, did you find, you know, maybe the set of challenges you would have come across as different? Were people just concerned about giving the, you know, giving ownership of your message to external people? Was that a big thing? Or or do you think sort of there's a cultural factor in the charity sector with using ambassadors already? So maybe was it a bit easier, do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a different challenge. Like it was less about pushback to do it. People were really up for it. And in fact, probably our biggest challenge was these unrealistic expectations of us being able to do everything and suddenly you know we're gonna have this huge um campaign you know everyone everywhere getting involved and just the take-up would be huge um and so I guess people were just really enthusiastic really up for it everyone you know all of our directors really up for it but it was that lack of understanding I guess of not really realizing what it takes to run um a campaign and and a and a strategy that that will deliver long term. So, I think that was really challenging for us, and, and particularly I think in the charity sector where you know we are very lucky. People do love us and they want to support us, but it's a different thing to have an ongoing kind of partnership um, together. And I think obviously we don't pay either, so that's even harder. Um, yeah. To you know, to ask people for their time and their commitment. So, that's that's probably been our biggest challenge: is that education um, internally, but then also um, within influences. It's just making, you know, getting that commitment from them. I guess, yeah, without um, you know, payment. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And then, Chris, for you, I, I know that you're. Um, you're you're obviously have have a background in kind of data um, and analytics in a big way. Do you you know when you're when you're kind of setting expectations as, as to what's going to be available in terms of KPIs and metrics? Are there you know do you try and frame it a, a particular way? Are you trying to um, you know how do you I guess go about setting expectations if you're making the the business case to a client? Do you um, do you do you sort of lay out the KPIs you're expecting there and then, or is is there a sort of earlier sell? Do you, th do you think on the on the concept of influencer marketing before you can build a detailed business case? There's definitely there's definitely an earlier sell. Um, I think you know back back to the original comment about you know what does the word influencer mean? I think as a relatively it depends how you look at it. Some people call it a relatively new industry. In the PR industry, we talk think of the idea of you know influencing the influencer as something we've been doing for a really long time, uh, and it isn't new. It's just a new it's just a new um, channel, I guess. 
Um, but but the sort of the lexicon is quite important. So, you know, we at Ketchum, when we say influencer, we mean YouTubers, Instagram is that the, the thing that comes to mind. And when we're talking about in a more B2B or corporate reputation environment, we use the terminology KOL, Key Opinion Leader. Um, but we have clients who use other things, whether it's COFs, Key Opinion Informers, or KEs, Key External Experts, or SMEs, Subject Matter Expert. Uh, and the list goes on. Like the, the, the lexicon is quite important to make sure that you're on the, on the same stage and on the same page for before you even begin or, or you immediately have a disconnect and I think before you get into what something can achieve it's important that whoever you're talking to whether in our case perhaps a CMO of a, of a big organization or a PR client um, understands where influence marketing or, or what you want to do fits within the broader mix of their their activity their marketing activity their marcoms and to give some sort of concrete examples to that you know it's quite a common barrier that, that we might come up against is that influencer marketing is put as okay well in for this consumer brand let's say you're going to um pay influencers to say something let's say so i immediately am going to compare that to my above the line spend because i'm I, it is paid so you're then having a conversation about, well, is my TV ad or my online advertising or my ECRM more effective at getting the message to the right people than your influencer piece of activity? And it starts being compared to other things in the Marcom mix. And that can be really a hurdle that you can't get over sometimes. And that's, that can be the biggest battle is making clear actually what it's going to do, what's going to deliver outside of the other activity that, that, that might be going on. And so you've got to immediately start thinking, well, if we're going to do something in the influencer space for whatever sort of vertical, whether it's B2B, B2C, whatever, what is the actual objective? Um, and how is it different from what we might be doing in, in other places? And I find that the best way to do that, to start that discussion, is to come up with a new objective, a unique objective that it's, it's going to do. So if you go in and say, this is going to help us reach X, well, I'm already doing that over here with my ECRM or with my paid social advertising on LinkedIn. It's going to have you're going to have to frame it differently. You're going to have to say it's actually going to drive it's going to drive much more resonance with that group than you can do in your other things, and that's what you need to build your business case around. So it's really important to have that, those initial conversations before you even get into how many people you're going to reach and how many leads you might generate or etc. You've got to get the understanding as to where it fits in. Okay, so you think probably num number one on the checklist is that is that objective setting, kind of just what is what is the headline thing I'm I'm trying to drive. I mean, um, Kelvin, would you say do you say that sort of rings true for you? Is it just about setting kind of the overall marketing or comms objective you're you're trying to drive? Did you kind of have are there other things maybe on your checklist that you'd say you would you would go through if you are you're trying to help a um you know someone in a different part of the business set up their own program um what else do you think is on the checklist well i would revert back to my experience of our recent program this year we had four to five specific objectives um some of them would be the usual ones for example we in fact if you have been following the the birth of refinitive if you like we only stood up as a brand some 13 months ago 
Um, so yep. we had that challenge of of building brand awareness, um, and 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 for us versus other brands um, or uh, NGOs associations, um, that was a priority for from a management uh, marketing point of view. So brand awareness would be one. And secondly, as a company, we have lots of content, data, thought leadership, stories to tell. And we wanted to genuinely build that relationship on an authenticity of us standing up as a new brand, really learning why we do what we do. Um, inherently, one of, the, one of the channels, if you like, was to really to figure out how do we build relevance, authenticity in the markets uh, with, these, with these influences that we have. Thirdly, then drilling one level deeper down it's not just about the brand, but also about key themes, key areas of discussions that we care about. As a firm, where we're, 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 we have uh, data technology and tools to help our clients to uh, fight financial crime broadly as a theme and, and fight financial crime. It's one of our key conversational platforms on social media, for example. So we wanted to associate the, the right themes with the right um, kind of thought leaders or KOLs, if, if you like. Uh, number four is then diving down even deeper was around how do we how do we increase the share of voice of these topics versus our competitors who inherently tend to also overlap in terms of the data they provide the solutions that they provide to 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 our prospects clients and customers as well um, and then I would say the the last one was really more of a business metric we were keen to better understand how we can drive incremental traffic to our blogs, to our website, to our landing pages, um, and ultimately, so hopefully through their networks, through their traffic, through their association of the blend of authenticity and the content and the topics we care about. And genuinely, we have a passion in helping our clients to solve, um, build, build that bridge between their their network, their followers, and uh, potentially how Refinitiv uh, can help. Yeah, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm kind of interested on on the topic of of kind of authenticity. I'm guessing for you guys, Marie, that's obviously a, a really important connection that you you sort of need to make with people. They have to, and and as you say, you're you're kind of lucky to have a brand that's you know an organisation that's very well loved. But did you find it was hard, you know, knowing that? building an authentic connection might take longer and be harder. Did that, that mean people needed more convincing or, or do you think, you know, people in, in the sector in, inherently got that? I think, um, I think this is one of the best kind of learnings that we've had over doing this work, which is that we were traditionally finding a good idea, maybe one of our particular campaigns that we thought would really appeal to fun, to influencers, say, tea party um, or like a fundraising offering where we ask people to bake cakes well naturally we can find kind of bakers that be interested in supporting this campaign and so we'd very much focus on the objectives of that one campaign and often we'd be able to get resource or we'd get support for that one campaign but essentially you know after doing that which was really resource intensive because we were trying to find new people each time building new relationships from scratch having to create an event around that that what was happening was that we were creating these relationships, but it was just based solely on that one idea and we were losing them after that. And so I think mm. what's important is 
yes, focus on objective, but I would focus on knowing kind of the that you need this long-term relationship with influencers to think about also what your long-term objectives are. So you need to, so that you can, with each campaign, you're building up a group of influencers that you'll be able to keep and there'll be ones that you can relate a lot of your products to and 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 that that you've got a more authentic relationship with and I think for us it was even more important because we don't have a lot of resource so now you know we'd rather approach five people um for an influencer campaign that we would kind of build a relationship with on a sustained basis and I think that's basically what we've done now it's a digital ambassador program and with each person that we meet we meet them face to face and we talk to them about our cause um, and hear about what their passion is and why they're getting involved and then we just talk about our campaigns that we've got on an ongoing basis and it's it's just a longer term um, view on it so it kind of works for us in terms of having a small team to focus on a couple rather than a lot but also I think it just that's what that's what influencers want as well they want that long-term genuine like passion for a product or a brand that they can kind of keep talking about and that their followers will get used to and can see Mm. it's genuine um yeah so yeah yeah no i I think i think that makes a lot of sense it's kind of you know that that's an evolution of the industry that we're kind of seeing more talk now about almost you know the industry going back to authenticity in a big way and, and sort of rediscovering that um, that core and as a as a reason it got started, Chris. I kind of wanted to I wanted to come to you to because um, I know obviously as as a sort of um, with your experience agency side, you probably see lots of different industries um, all trying to kind of implement uh, influencer programs or, or sort of you know key opinion leader programs. Are there are there industries you think are, are kind of missing an opportunity right now and and kind of how maybe as a follow-up to that how would you maybe convince them you know what what are the ingredients it for business cases in in industries that are lagging behind but but have a big opportunity to get involved in this i think there's there's an element of particular sectors that have more embraced this um this world um particularly sectors that perhaps are a bit more nimble, a bit more agile, have lots of startups, for example, small-sized uh, businesses with you know very grandiose goals um, who are willing to sort of try anything. Um, a lot of them have led, um, you know, led the field in terms of things like professional and financial services. Um, but I think probably where the opportunity is over the next couple of years is actually, we touched upon it where um, we talked about how um, Mary Curie is a respected and, and, and loved uh, you know, brand or organization um, that has a, a lot of credibility that's been built up over, over many years. Um, but there are lots of organizations out there who, who perhaps worry about uh, how they're perceived, um, who have perhaps, you know, advocates but also detractors and mm. that can often you know put off those organizations from sort of going out there it's easier just to sort of sit uh, within the safety of your your own world uh, rather than going outside and, and engaging with others and trying to build those relationships 
Um, yet you could argue that the benefits for them doing that are even stronger than than an organisation that that is sort of having a head start from a from a credibility or you know um, brand love point of view. And and I think it's it's starting to reach the point where those organisations are realising that they at least have to pay attention to the conversations that are being had in this space and probably need to start thinking about an engagement strategy as well. Picking and choosing where they play, of course. Um, but that, I think, is is where there's still a hell of a lot of opportunity for lots and lots of organisations, regardless of sector. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So to kind of... To um, I guess to, to finish off here, I I wanted to to do a little bit of of future gazing. You know, here mm -hmm. at Analytica, I think we're seeing we're seeing more interest in influencer marketing overall. You know, the the sort of Google Trends research shows people are still definitely looking into it. We we can still see lots of interest. I wonder if any of you feel you know does anyone here feel like it's easier to convince people or or like you know you you kind of get fewer questions now when you talk about an influencer driven strategy and i maybe kind of wanted to get one one prediction from each of you on what you think you know in future we might start including in our in our business case for influencers you know we've touched on a few possible options around around kind of authenticity or or more sector specific stuff but maybe marie did you want to go first and sort of so yeah firstly do you feel like it's getting easier to to convince people and what do you think the the business internally. case of the future might include yeah yeah internally yeah totally but i think it's probably it's not too late but like <laughs> it's you know it's the fact that it's common knowledge now means that it's going to be even harder to kind of reach influencers because they're getting even more asks than what they had previously um so i think internally yeah it's actually just never massively been an issue for us I think we've just got to I think what's got to change is there's got to be more resource um, internally to support it so I think um, I think internally yeah it's easier people know what it is so that's helpful um, and what was your other question about business case yeah kind of what yeah. what do you think it's going to look like in the future do you think maybe it'll just be that you'll you're going to start asking for more support from the organization sort of we're not yeah, dipping our toe that, in the water. Yeah, anymore. I think there will just be more people dedicated to it. And I think um, that probably doesn't even just sit with social media. It might be wider than that, just to to understand that actually like brand marketing and brand advertising, certainly on social media is just like really limited and people are just desperate to hear from experts and from individual people. So I think, um, I think we'll, yeah, we just need more time and people dedicated to it. So hopefully that's what we'll see. Chris, would you, do you agree with that? Do you think it, it's kind of, we're going to start asking for more resource from organizations to be put into it? Are you, you expecting 2020 to be easier to convince people about the same? I think, I think it really is a, a lumpy and uneven picture. Um, and I think, I think one of the biggest potential drivers for growth um, and where there will be opportunity is where engaging with influencers, listening to influencers, actively using that space 
teaches you something you don't know. I think where a lot of opportunity is lay in the sort of B2B and more sort of issue space has been, you know, for example, a company that's not really thought about, say, sustainability before, but now they have to, but they appreciate that they don't really understand the space, that is ripe for, well, let's go and talk to some influencers, experts, whatever, and maybe co-create content with them or get that, you know, bring them inside and help us develop that. And that's been a, a, a fueling of growth. But where I think it's going is the communications landscape and what people think is changing faster and faster and faster and faster. Um, and organizations are starting to realize that things they think they know, they're wrong about. And I think that's where there's an opportunity to get the next sort of growth area for for um, influencer relations in those spaces is, which is where you can go, well, you think this is what is going on, but actually uh, this is what's going on and this is where the conversation's going and this is where you need to be or in two years' time, you're going to be completely out of the loop and you're going to be seen as, you know, old-fashioned or, you know, the wrong side of, of the debate or the issue. Um, so I think that that that's sort of what I what I expect to see. I think from a resource perspective, that is just going up exponentially and has been for a number of years, I think. Um, and it, it's I think it probably is reaching the tipping point where uh, any company who's doing quite a lot of marketing, where marketing is valued within within that brand or company, is considering influence relations in some form or other because it's it started to establish itself as a clear choice in that Markham's mix. Okay, well, it's interesting. And finally, Kelvin, are you are you finding the sort of the conversations uh, easier? Are they, you know, do you do you think your business case is evolving to kind of, I guess, be be more forceful about the the value influencers can bring some of those sort of outside in perspectives that the other two are talking about, or are you sort of still finding there's there's a lot of education to do? I would say it's um, easier to to talk about, but really difficult to roll out. Because um, yeah. no matter how many, in, in a lot of this, and you know, Chris, when you consult with agencies and getting this sold in, um, whoever you're speaking to needs to sell within the organization and as well so I, i'm that person right so i've learned over time that you, you really need to get a ban of um ban of of, of uh, stakeholders around you to be able to help represent the different departments in content pr digital events regional activation creative comms um and i've learned with i've learned over learned about this the hard way where you think you cover the right basis actually you just need somebody from legal or compliance to say no nope, this is not going out and that's, that's completely derailed it so i would say you know on, on, on record whoever's on, on on this in this video and thinking about influencer marketing you're a trailblazer because it's it it requires a, a renaissance um style of thinking about building these relationships and being genuine about it and actually if you have to step up and meet these people you have to but also being able to demonstrate the data and the metrics um, to management that this investment works because ultimately in a year's time they're going to ask so what's the roi um, so to answer your point directly it's it's easier to talk about but really difficult to implement um, which leads me to i guess two predictions one is 
Um, in B2B or maybe two to three, in definitely I will see more B2B firms, at least in my space, exploring, experimenting with, with influencer marketing, monitoring um, in, in some way, shape or form. Uh, secondly, is as we get that more, more of that proliferation, we should see to Maria, I think you mentioned briefly that, that this will become more commonplace. Maybe it moves away from the role of social media managing this um, to more of a day-to-day -day comms or PR role where today most PR teams think about managing the relationships with um, the typical journalist, analyst um, uh, in, in, on press online or offline. Uh, we, we're mm. starting to get that, that sense already. The third one is, we talk about that a lot at various events and conferences. It's, you know, uh, it's in the future, we, we do need to move away from the vanity metrics of reach and likes and clicks, good stuff, but ultimately, we're pressured to, to talk about how this program has delivered through business ROI. It might be, it might be incremental traffic to the site and being able to demonstrate that, or it might be additional leads, or it might be really um, involving them at, at some of our own, your own proprietary events or, or, or webinars. Um, so hopefully that makes sense. A couple of uh, uh, food for thought for, from, from my end. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, thanks very much, everyone. I thought that was that was really insightful. I think you know, Kelvin and lots of lots of kind of checklists there, thinking about you know who you who the stakeholders are and making sure that you're asked from the business's calibrator. I thought you know we kind of touched on a similar point with with Marie and and also looking at you know what is the actual value of that long term investment in a in an authentic partnership, and you're actually you know the way that the overall ROI is going to be much higher if you just invest a little harder in, in creating those kind of long-term bonds, you know, the time bringing, bringing people to meet. And I thought, you know, Chris talking about how the, you know, bringing that insight from, from sort of different sectors and, and really being able to see there's this kind of, there is actually a holistic picture a, a, across all of them. I thought, you know, that the biggest thing here for, for me overall, my sort of insight from this conversation is it, is it is really important to calibrate your ask from the business clearly because you are going to need to to increasingly to run a program like this you're going to need to bring in other people and you know the category of influencer is often people who sort of fall between analyst relations or press relations or whatever it is um so so there's lots of different organizations you're you know parts of the organization you're gonna need to need to bring in but um hopefully that's been that's been useful to all the people at home thanks very much to to my three panelists kelvin marie and chris for joining on our next one of these, uh, it's going to be Alistair hosting, and he is going to be uh, talking about why we need to stop talking about macro, micro, and nano influencers, and kind of come up with a with a new set of terms. So hopefully, tune in for that discussion as well. Thanks very much. Thank you.